You're listening to Kindling Conversation with Siobhan Hunt, part of Kindling Kids Radio. Matt Hart is an innovations guy, husband and father of two. He spent the last 20 years helping some of the world's largest organisations find their creativity. And now he wants to do the same for kids. He's written a children's book called Ideas Girl and he's also created Better Ideas Faster, a website full of resources to help develop and nurture the next generation of creative problem solvers. Before we get stuck into talking to Matt, I thought we might just have a little listen to Ideas Girl, which is being turned into an animation. This is Hetty. Hetty's much like any other girl. Except for one thing. Hetty has a secret. Hetty's secret is that she has a superpower. This superpower helps Hetty solve problems because... Hetty is an ideas girl. Hi, Matt. How are you? Hi, good. Thanks, Yvonne. And, of course, we have to acknowledge that that amazing voice is actually your daughter. It is, yeah. She will love that, yeah. And does she... Did you? Did she have a dramatic bone in her? She sounded amazing. When she, she well, I, I I have to give thanks to my my sound designer Mickey and a shout out to him because we did it at home. So I bought a little recording kit, and he said go to a small room, and we went underneath the duvet. So, <laughs> and so we turned it on, and I sort of broke it down into the sections of what she had to say. She did it once, and so we said now let's do it again. And I got her to pause between um between the narratives, and then as we built up to the thing, I said now go for. Go for it, go for it. And so she, she gets that build-up to the ideas girl really well. Yeah. So she's a bit of a natural, I think. Yeah, there you go. And was she the one that inspired you she to is, do this? Yeah, she is the inspiration. So, you know, my the quick story is 20 years of global innovation. And, and of course, as any parent, but especially because I'm in the creative industries, it's how, do I, how, how can I best nurture uh, my own children. And, and so since she was about two, I don't know how I came up with it, I, I started calling her an ideas girl. So when she was two, and, and the idea being that that was a way, because actually I didn't know how. I mean, I know how to innovate anything and solve any problem for, for enterprise and, and, and charities and whatnot. But when you have to nurture children, where do you start? How do you know? And so that was my way to start. And actually what I found was that she was really attracted to the idea that she could have ideas and suggest ideas. And so it started from there and then a, a number of things came together and one day it hit me that this is a character, this is a story, this could be a way that, we, that other people could help nurture their children's creativity. And you actually had seen the development of that in your own child. A- absolutely. And, and it sort of, I mean, you know, we're all biased about our own children, <laughs> aren't we? But but it was validated because when I started working on it and had the idea for the story and I started working with my designer, Charlotte, unbeknownst to me, she's got her own young children. And so I told her the title and, and, and why we were calling it that. And she went home and over the next few days when she was working on it, she sort of rang me up again three days later. And I'm, I won't swear, but she said, you're really on to something here because I've been calling uh, my daughter an ideas girl. And within a day, she's coming up with, mummy, what about this idea? Mummy, what about that idea? And then they get quite cheeky with it. So they start to go, is it a good idea I have a lolly? <laughs> and that sort I of can thing. see how it can backfire. Yeah. So um, we'll talk about how you sort of moved it along to be a book and a cartoon, but I'm really curious in the actual practical application of this. When you're trying to foster creativity in a child, does that mean that you let them lead you wherever they choose to go? Because I've got to admit, there are times when my child wants to be, when my daughter in particular wants to be creative, and it's normally 
normally right before we're meant to leave to go to school and work and stuff like that. But how important is it to tap into when your child's ready to do something creative? Um, I guess some of this has been informed. My, my wife's a s- systemic family practitioner, so so I guess we're sort of on the spectrum. We're a little bit further <laughs> advanced in terms of kid development. But I think there's, you know, let's just say broadly, there's there, there's kind of two ways at it. And that there's that free-form imaginative play where it's the kid le- the kids spontaneously doing their own things. And then there's a time when it's parent-led or caregiver-led, and it's time when we engage with them and about what we're going to do. And, of course, that's playing games or reading stories. And and I guess it's in in that side of, of, of the spectrum where it was kind of like, how can I or how can a parent better sort of knowingly, consciously be actively involved in thinking I'm nurturing their creativity? Can we give parents, primary caregivers, an artifact or a product that says this is a way that you can do that confidently? And I go into classes and run workshop with with year twos, you know, sort of six to seven year olds. And when you're reading them the story, that's the point where you can get them interacting about why is that problem happening? And they shout out and they want to have their own ideas. And so then you talk about the idea and then in the books we narrate a silly solution, an imaginative solution for how they can make that happen. But when you're reading this with your children, they can then take that wherever they go, have have a different idea or use the story to then workshop. So as a parent, after reading the story, you can go with the momentum of the story and suddenly you're into, let's use the poster and illustrate it and start colouring that in. Or what would your story be if you were an ideas girl or an ideas boy? So it's a, it's a jumping off place as much as it is just reading through a story. You're listening to Kindling Conversation. I'm speaking with Matt Hart, who has created this children's book called Ideas Girl, but it's so much more than a book. It's about inspiring creativity in children, coming from a perspective of actually doing that for adults. That's what Matt has been doing up until now. So why is it important, do you think, for kids to embrace innovation, change, problem solving, that kind of thing from a young age. I know you're speaking from three up, but still three-year-olds are quite little. Why do you think it's important for them to kind of get into it then? Let me read you a quote, which actually summarizes why it is way better than I ever could. <laughs> sure. And this guy, uh, Peter Hyman, set up a new school in London. It's called School 21. And this is some of his motivations on, on why he did it. And so he, he says this, what will be left for humans when the robots arrive? It's obvious, creative jobs, jobs that need empathy, jobs where you're generating ideas, jobs where you're problem solving. All these are undervalued in schools. And so I think that's the broader context of where this sits. And my own story is that, you know, you're working for all these organisations. In 2007, I was working with Sony Music Globally. And rather than try and re-educate them into their creativity, could we help develop them into their creativity and then segue into the creative industries? And so I had the idea for an idea school. So, so that was kind of the first effort at it. So could we, could we grab late school students, you know, 15 to 19-year-olds, and sort of pilot them through whatever parts of the innovative creative lexicon and skills and behaviours and processes, educate them into that so they could just then jump into an internship um, with a bit of propensity to sort of uh, apply their creativity. We are doing that now, but then my own networks were like, look, that's great. But as, as you find out when you go and do that work, you're still having to, because of the schooling system and the binary nature of convergent, always trying to find the one right answer, 
we the schooling system does it, it still educate people out of that natural propensity to be creative. And so the challenge is, well, we have to pick it up again at 15, 16. Why can't we then start at the youngest of ages where it makes sense to start and see if we can't really build some momentum around nurturing and educating them into their creativity? Do you support the idea of, you know, we in Australia there's been a lot of um, news about the Finnish school system and how they don't really start learning maths or English until they're about seven and before that it's all play-based learning. Does that is that something that you connect with? Do you see that our whole education system really needs to rethink how it does things? Yeah, you start to get in a lot of trouble here, so I don't <laughs> I don't know how much. Don't that... worry, you're a Kiwi. We went, you know. Um, yeah, I, I I'm a big fan of sort of the Montessori slash uh, Steiner. Um, at least their philosophy and their beliefs around child development, play based learning. You know, educating the whole child rather than just jumping straight to cognitive binary, you know, learning it. Like I, I look at even what my daughter's learning and yes, you've got to go through, you know, the times tables and the and, and already you can see in their development that already it's about um, trying to get to the one right answer. Now, yes, obviously, you know, part of that is part of the human learning and, and what we have to go through the school system. But there's this whole other part of ourselves um, that is uh, our natural capacities to be creative and problem solve. And unless we're nurturing and developing that at the youngest of ages and that it goes on through the schooling system, that atrophies. And we lose uh, our innate connections with that and our innate uh, possibilities to use it. So, you know, what that ends up looking like in organisations is people find it really hard to be creative. Or they'll tell you they have no time to be creative. And yet it's such a natural part of us. Why do we end up 95%, you know, all about just getting the job done and this tiny little bit is rumours for creativity versus trying to rebalance that, I guess, and saying, look, we can apply our creativity on a, on, on a daily basis productively uh, in ways that add value. It seems to me that once children get into the education system and there is set ways of doing things, like one of the things my daughter, who's just started school, said to me was that she doesn't like school at the moment because people are telling her what to do. Right, yeah. Now, part of that is something she's probably going to have to learn in life anyway. But another part of me finds that quite sad and seems that when you have an education system that is constantly measured by things in our country, by NAPLAN and tests like that, that it is about, for kids, it's about achieving a certain mark and the feeling that you can't make mistakes. And I'm just wondering if, if allowing our children to make mistakes and maybe not be the best in maths or English that that's okay and that that's part of finding other ways to solve problems? Yeah, 100%. 100%. I guess the the framing the way I see it, and maybe this is a little bit male, <laughs> is that if you look at the neuroscience of creativity, there are the brain states. You know, so there's the beta brain, which is all about the, you know, where we talk about getting to the one right answer and just getting things done. So in the schooling system, you know, in some subjects, there is a right answer. It's yes or wrong. And we need to prepare our kids for that kind of world that they're going on to. But of course, there's another state called alpha state, which is where our creativity is. And that's where there's multiple possibilities and where imagination and creativity come. I think in the schooling system, if we could find ways to nurture so that the children knew about their permission to play and fail and grow and use their creativity and try and solve problems, that when they're in that state and in that mode of learning, anything's possible. They can fail. And so there's no cause or penalty for that failure. And yet over here in this context, when they're learning those subjects where there is one right answer, then yeah, sometimes there is an expectation that they have to get it right or wrong. 
Do you think that it is possible to prepare our kids for the future when technology, jobs, all of those things are constantly changing and even the best minds can't predict what the job market's going to be like by the time our kids graduate? Um, well, it's a yes and no, isn't it? So one is, you, of course, we can't predict. We don't know exactly what it's going to be like. But when you're at the forefront of innovation and you get that view 10 years out, 20 years out, and probably what's going to happen. And I've been doing a lot of this work with Cisco out of, out of San Francisco, and, and they run global education. And I've been helping them or working with them to shift some of their education proposition to global problem solving. And the idea that, um, you know, what, what can be digitized will be. So, you know, robotics and automation and, and data but that the world is going to be not just about data and information, it's about knowledge and use, applying that knowledge to solve these problems. Then if you start to sort of coalesce some different things, so, so you know, the UN and, uh, has the Sustainable Development Goals that narrate, I think, 17 or 18 uh, problems of the world and the goals that the UN has said the world would need to go and solve. That's a really interesting lens and framework to look at the future of enterprise that can play a role in solving those problems. Climate change, water stress here in Australia, all of these things are opportunities for fantastic new enterprises. And you see the startup ecosystem starting to embrace some of these. So how do we prepare um, our children, the next generations, to be ready to take on those opportunities no matter what they look like? Well, what can't robots do? Robots at the moment, hopefully, and hopefully they'll never get there, they can't empathise with another human being. And then, of course, creativity and problem solving. If we can invest in those two core skills right through, not just from where this story sits, but picking up through what that looks like from 7, 8, 9, 10, and through into college, and then apply more and more discipline to it about how it might apply in the world across you know, uh, any domain, I, then I think we are preparing our, our, our children and the next generations for what will probably be their future. That was Matt Hart talking about Ideas Girl. And if you'd like to hear more about Hetty, you can catch Ideas Girl and other stories during Settle Petal every night from 5pm here on Kindling or via the free Kindling app. You've been listening to a Kindling Conversation podcast. We'd like to reach as many parents as possible, and you can help us by giving us a review wherever you downloaded this episode. It means that more people can find us. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time.